It's warm, isn't it? We put the heat off, fellas, didn't we? Yep, okay. So we keep it off for tonight, won't we? Because we made that mistake last week, we forgot. <laughs> and it was cooking, wasn't it? All right. I want you to come with me this morning in the Word of God to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We're continuing this morning in this new series we're doing regarding notable women of the Bible. I'm not sure that will be the full title of it at the end, but that's what we're calling it for now. Uh, by the way, uh, these guys are uh, videotaping these services, and some of them are available. They're even available right now if you want. We're experimenting, and uh, we need other lighting at the back, as we said last week, but we're just playing around with it at the moment. So if you want to avail yourself to that, you can. Now, so Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be reading it in a few moments. Surely no woman in the history of mankind has captured the imagination of people of every generation more than this beautiful, humble servant of God uh, called Mary. This highly favored, this blessed among women to be chosen by God himself to carry the Son of God in her womb to give birth to the Son of God, to nurture and nurse Him for many years. That would have been the highest honor for any woman in the world, particularly any woman in Israel. But that honor was kept for just one, for Mary alone. Now before we look at this wonderful calling and privilege that Mary received, let me say that it is truly unfortunate that in both the Protestant and Catholic traditions uh, that we have made two grave errors with regard to Mary. Protestants on the whole have desperately, shamefully failed to honor her. Catholics, on the other hand, Roman Catholic Church, has gone beyond honoring her to literally worshiping her. And I think that the latter error is even more grave than the first. Nowhere in Scripture does it even remotely hint that we should worship Mary, that we should pray to Mary, that somehow we should believe that Mary will give special favors, that she will dispense grace. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that Mary is co-redemptrix, that somehow or other that she entered into the sufferings and the ministry of redemption in Christ, that she shared in that. Nowhere does it say that Mary was bodily taken up into heaven and was enthroned as queen of heaven. Nowhere does it say that she sits anywhere near the right hand of God uh, to be co-mediatrix, to be co-mediator or intercessor. It doesn't say that at all. Just a few weeks ago, I was standing in the third biggest cathedral in the world, in Seville, Spain. It's a massive cathedral. 
It has got beautiful architecture, very ornate in design and style. It's got several chapels within it. It's so huge. But what saddened me was that that great cathedral is given almost exclusively over to the veneration and to the worship of Mary. In fact, there is a massive gold, massive, bigger than this wall, massive gold, very ornate shrine to Mary, and all of the seats of all of the worshippers are pointing in her direction. That there's an image of Christ way, way off stage, away to the left. And that kind of says it all. And I think that this humble little maid, Mary, I think should be aghast of even thinking that men should worship her rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. I think she'd be shocked. John Phillips informs us that the worship of Mary began to be developed in the Church of Rome about A.D. 432. Feast in her honor began in A.D. 650. And the Ave Maria was introduced in A.D. 1316. The teaching about her immaculate conception, that somehow that when she was born that she was not tainted with original sin, that was introduced in 1854 A.D. And the dogma of her corporeal presence in heaven was proclaimed by Pope Pius XII in A.D. 1950. So these and many other errors regarding Mary have been uh, put forth by the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. Multitudes of devout Catholics are devoted to Mary. And they are very, very devout and very, very sincere and genuine in their belief that Mary is the one that they should pray to, that she will dispense grace and special favors. And so hence, much prayer is directed towards Mary that should be directed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Much. Now the argument goes, of course, that the best way to get to the Son is through the Mother. And that sounds logical and rational and perhaps sentimental. But it's certainly not scriptural. It is not biblical. The previous Pope, uh, Pope John Paul II, arguably the most popular Pope in living memory, certainly was around the world, much more than the present one. He dedicated his whole pontificate, his whole reign as Pope, he dedicated it to Mary, not to Christ, but to Mary. In fact, in his will, he left the care of the Roman Catholic Church to Mary in his will. Now, even in Christ's day, there rose those who thought it proper to emphasize her role as Jesus' mother way above what it should have been. In Luke 11, 27, 28, here's what it says. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, above and beyond that, away beyond that, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
So even back then, Jesus was very, very careful to get Mary's role into perspective in the minds of people. Being God, knowing what would happen down through the centuries. And so, Protestants, on the other hand, not wanting to make an idol of Mary, have on the whole terribly neglected to tell Mary's story. And that's a great shame. Because the Bible says that she was blessed among all women. That she was highly favored by God. And that she was a wonderful, godly young woman. And God used her mightily. The most awesome privilege that a human being could have had. So we do need to honor this woman. And so today as we share, that's what we want to do. Honor this great woman of God. Not idolize her, but honor her. Give her the honor that is due to her. And perhaps that we can learn uh, some things about Mary that will encourage us and strengthen us, and particularly uh, addressing this towards women. So let's look now at Mary, this highly favored, blessed among women. And Luke chapter 1, which we opened at, because of time and because of the familiarity of the story, we'll not uh, read all of this, we'll just read a couple of parts of it. Uh, But it begins by the angelic visitation. The angel Gabriel comes and visits Zacharias, the priest, his wife Elizabeth, And he tells them the most startling news that in spite of her being barren, in spite of them both being well advanced in age, that they would have a baby. Now whenever Zacharias heard this, uh, he didn't believe it. There was unbelief with him. The angel struck him dumb for nine months until the baby was born and until the very moment when he did as the angel said that you'll call his name John, which wouldn't have been in the family tradition. And when that happened, then he was able to speak. And so, six months after that event, after the angel appeared to Zacharias and Elizabeth, the same angel Gabriel came again to this young peasant woman named Mary who happened to be a relative of Elizabeth. Some say a cousin, but might have been an aunt, but certainly we know she was a relative. It makes that clear. And whenever the angel came to this young woman, Mary was betrothed, some of your translations may say, espoused to Joseph, a carpenter from Nazareth. And even though both were of the royal lineage of King David, Mary through Nathan, one of David's son, and Joseph uh, through Solomon, another one of David's sons, Solomon the king, yet by this time both of them were quite poor. And we know that they were very poor because when it came to eventually dedicating Jesus and the circumcision rite when he was eight days old, they had to bring a sacrifice and all they could bring was two turtle doves. And two turtle doves was allowed by law for those who couldn't afford a lamb. So it shows you they were quite poor indeed. Now, I want to read uh, a little bit here from uh, Luke chapter 1. And let's see what we can uh, glean from this. 
So look chapter 1 and verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Not a very uh, great place to come from. You remember that Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It didn't have a good reputation. But something good did come out of Nazareth. The Lord Jesus Christ came out of Nazareth, didn't it? And so to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed or espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now let me just explain just a moment or two about this business of betrothal and espousal. Same thing. It was something like uh, our engagement prior to marriage, only it was much more binding, far more serious than that. In fact, at a betrothal, it would be the, the parents of the father, the parents of Joseph in this case, would get together with the parents of Mary when they were very, very young. And this would be an arranged marriage. But whenever Mary would be about anything between 13 and 16, so about 15 years old, very young teenager, then the betrothal would take place. And the contract would have to be signed and witnessed by two people. A diary would have to be paid. And when that contract was signed, they were to all intents and purposes at that point married. Now, they would have to wait one year before the marriage ceremony could take place and the, the whole reception would happen and then they would go on a honeymoon and the marriage would be consummated. But that intervening year, they were legally bound together as if they were already married. And the only thing could break that apart from death would have been adultery. Now during that year, there would be a courtship, but it would be under very, very strict limitations. There would have to be a chaperone at all times. There could be no physical relationship between this couple prior to marriage. If there was, and if there had been, it was a serious, serious offense. The very least would have happened that there would have been a divorce, a bill of divorcement would have been written, or even worse, the person could be stoned to death by law. So it was a serious thing. So in that context, that's the time whenever the angel Gabriel came to Mary when she was espoused, when she was betrothed, when she was as good as married to Joseph in this intervening year. So, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The word favored there is the exact same word where we get the word grace from, charis. Highly graced one. Letting us know immediately that this was a work of grace, not a work of merit on Mary's part. She was chosen, even though she was godly and good, but she was chosen by God in grace. Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. I bet she was troubled. Who wouldn't have been? The word troubled there means she was 
agitated. She was fearful. She was perplexed. She was trying to, as we would say today, trying to get her head around all of this. I mean, this was a massive, massive statement. Think for a moment, because this is what she would be thinking. For her to enter into this, I mean, this not only would be life-changing, but the scandal that would ensue. For her to become pregnant outside marriage, and not with even the one she was going to marry, that would have been bad enough. But even outside of him, suddenly this is a massive, this is a big ask. This is a serious, serious thing that the angel is saying here. And she knew. She knew that immediately this is going to cause massive consequences for my life and my family and for Joseph. I mean, what in the world would Joseph even think? He knows he hasn't lain with me. He's going to think, he's going to think I, I, I've been sleeping around. That, what else could the man think? What's my parents going to think? What's my friends going to think? What's the whole town going to think of this? So you can imagine that moment, all these thoughts was racing through her mind. Apart from the fact, how would the work of this possibly happen? So when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or God is Savior. It's the same word we get Joshua from. It means he's Savior. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Bobby, well, we haven't time this morning to expound on that. But I mean, there's half a dozen sermons in there. But then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? How could this be possible? Now, I mean, all this is happening very quickly. All, the, all these thoughts are racing through your mind, the cost, the consequence of what people are going to think, what's going to happen to me and my marriage and everything. But she's also thinking, but how is this possible? How in the world could this possibly take place? I, I don't know a man. So you can see why she was disturbed and wondering and pondering these things. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he gives her a great encouragement for her faith and obedience. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now that must have been a great fillip to her faith. That must have stirred her because she knew Elizabeth. She knew she was an old woman. She knew that she had been barren for all of her married life. That they wanted a child never going to have one. She knew the history there. So suddenly here, hey, your cousin Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant already. Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. What a massive act of obedience this was. What a tremendous step of faith. Listen, we're talking here about a 15-year-old girl. 16 maybe. A very young teenage girl. And she's challenged by this word from heaven through an angel. And do you know what? She accepts it. She says, yes. Yes. That's what she's saying. Yes. Let it be to me according to your word. When the same angel six months prior came to Zacharias, Zacharias didn't believe. He was a priest and he didn't believe. And he was struck dumb. When God came to Moses and commissioned him to go back to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh, he didn't want to do it. And he made all kinds of excuses. He says, I'm a stammer. I'm slow of speech. I can't do this. I'm no good at talking. Whatever Gideon, the Lord came to him. He wanted all kinds of signs. He wanted all kinds of proofs and evidence before he moved. When God came to Jonah and challenged him to go to Nineveh, what did he do? He ran the opposite direction. But when God came to this young woman, she immediately says, Yes, I'll do it. I'll do that. Be it unto me according to your word. What a gigantic act of obedience and step of faith that she took right there. Amen? Then what did she do? Now she said yes. There's no going back from this point. How is she going to handle this situation? She knows that tongues will start to wag. How is she going to explain this to her family and her folks and her relatives? How is she going to explain most of all to Joseph? What's she going to say to Joseph? So her head's reeling. She said, yes. The angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Power of the shadows will overpower you and hover over you and then suddenly something supernatural is going to take place in your body and, and the Son of God's going to be there. I mean, who's going to believe this? Would you have believed it? If a 15, 16-year-old girl came to you and told you, would you have believed it? Come on. Don't sit and look at me. Would you have believed it? No. Do you think Joseph was going to believe it? Do you think her parents is going to believe it? This is a massive act of obedience. So what does she do? Verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if, if Joseph doesn't believe her and if Joseph makes a public announcement about her because he, he, he doesn't want to be blamed because guess who was going to get the blame first? It was going to be him, wasn't it? Because after all, they're betrothed. She wasn't about anybody else. So guess who the tongue's going to wag about too? It's going to be him. So he's a godly young man too. He didn't want his name blackened. So if he makes a public announcement to clear his name, any guilt that may be thought to be on him, you know what that means? That means that she's going to have to go to a priest 
this is going to have to be proven. And then, if that is so, by law, she could be stoned to death. So here she is. What's she doing? She's going to a priest's house. Bit of a risk, isn't it? And yet, it really isn't a risk because of this priest. Because when she tells this priest that the angel Gabriel visited her, he remembers six months ago the angel Gabriel visited him. And he is definitely going to believe her because he doesn't want struck dumb the second time. <laughs> he for sure is going to believe. But look what happens. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she greeted Mary. I don't think it means when she just says, Oh, hi, great Elizabeth. Oh, hi, Elizabeth. I think that when she told the story. The Bible doesn't say this, so we can only, it's only conjecture, but I can imagine that when she said, and you know, the angel said, you're going to call his name Jesus or Savior of the world. I don't think little baby John in there could stand it anymore. <laughs> he just jumped. <laughs> Probably shouted hallelujah too, I don't know. But he certainly jumped. Babe leapt in her womb. And suddenly she was filled with the Holy Spirit, was Elizabeth. And then she spoke with a loud voice. She started to prophesy. And she said, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Boy, I tell you, she, she needed encouragement, didn't she? I mean, she really needed a lot of encouragement. And this was going to so encourage her. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who has believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which are told her from the Lord. Mary, this is of God. It's right. You believe right. Your faith, your obedience was right. This is in the plan and purpose of God. What an encouragement for her. Everybody needs encouragement, don't they? And particularly if you obey God or you take steps of faith, you need encouragement. And God has umpteen ways to encourage His people whenever we step out in faith and we trust and we believe and we obey Him. And then suddenly Mary bursts into song. This is a great psalm in the New Testament, as it were. And this is what Mary said. I'm just going to quickly read this without even hardly commenting, but I'm going to quickly read it because I want to say something at the end of it, which is very important. My soul magnifies the Lord. By the way, that's what's called the Magnificat, the Latin Magnificat, because of this first line. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior too. She wasn't born sinless. She was born a sinner like every other person. She needed a Savior. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant, for, for henceforth, for behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and as holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now that's very, that song that she spontaneously began to sing is very, very like the song that Hannah sang 
and 1 Samuel 2, if you wanted to compare. But here's the wonderful thing about it. Remember, this is a, this is a 15, 16-year-old girl. And spontaneously, she quotes from the Old Testament 23 different scriptures. She knew them off by heart. She had hidden them in her heart. Brought up as every Jewish child would be to learn the scriptures, their parents' knees. Brought up in the synagogue to hear the scriptures. And she knew them off by heart. How many Christian 15-year-olds, girls or fellas, could quote you 23 scriptures? How many of us could quote 23 scriptures spontaneously? I tell you what they could quote. They could quote you 23 pop songs, word for word for word. But most of them couldn't even quote one single scripture from the Word of God. This was a godly young woman. She was filled with the Word of God. And now the very, the Word of God, the Word made flesh is dwelling within her. What a wonderful young woman this was. And Mary remained with her with her about three months, and then she returned to her house. She returned to her house. What's she going to say to Joseph? How's Joseph going to handle this? No doubt, during that period, she was pondering all of these things. What's she going to do? What's she going to say? Here's what's happening in the other end of the line. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, because he's as good as being her husband, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, we, we, we got to acknowledge Joseph here. God knew what he was doing when he chose this man. He could have so easily, out of embarrassment, out of self-vindication, out of justifying himself, well, it wasn't me, because he knew that the fingers would point and tongues would wag at him too. He could have so easily made her a public example, but he was a just man. And do you know what? He loved Mary. And even though this must have hurt him grievously, even though it must have broke his heart to even begin to think, how could she do this? How could she behind my back go off with somebody else and do this? Because you can be sure he thought all of those things for being a just man. Because he really cared, he decided, do you know what? I'll just quietly divorce her. I'll just let her go. I'll not cause a whole big stink in time. But for whatever reason why she'd done it, maybe it was a moment of temptation, he's probably thinking, but for whatever reason, I can't marry her. I'm an honorable man, I, I couldn't do that. And if I did do that, well, they would think it was me anyway, and so 
No, I just can't do that. But I don't want harm to come to her, so I'll just privately put her away. I'll just write a bill of divorce, but that'll be the end of it. So that was his thinking. And God waited three months. He had a long time to think about this. And you can be sure he had many, many sleepless nights. And you can be sure he cried under his pillow a few times. Because this was the woman of his dreams. This is the one that he's going to live the rest of his life with. And she's cheated on him. That's what he'd be thinking. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. What a couple this is. And now, now, they've got to the rest of their lives, in spite of the fact that now they would be man and wife, and the fact, in spite of the fact that now they would have other children from this union, because the Bible makes it clear that Jesus had brothers and so forth, but they would always know that very few people would believe them. Very few would believe them that what happened was of the Holy Spirit. And that took a lot of courage, a lot of faith, a lot of, certainly a lot of obedience to carry out this will of God for their lives. Because how could they explain it? They just say, ah, what a story. They slept together and they made up this great, big, super spiritual story to explain it away. That's probably what people just thought. But they knew and God knew. And now we know. The whole world knows. Apart from the story of Christ's birth, there are very few references to Mary in Scripture. In fact, the first 30 years of Jesus' life, there's only one reference. And you know it well. Remember whenever they went to the Feast of Passover, and how when they left the feast, they inadvertently forgot Jesus. He was only 12 years old. And then they remembered and they went back to find him. It took three days to find him. Where did they find him? They found him in the temple. And there he was, discussion theology with the elders at 12 years old. And you know that she kind of scolded him. You know, if you read the story, she says, why did you do this? Son, she says, why did you do this? Don't you know your father and I have been looking for you? If I could paraphrase, you know we were frantic, we were out of our minds looking for you. Why did you do this? And Jesus immediately said, why were you looking for me? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? At 12 years old, he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he had come to do. And let me tell you, not for the first time, we'll see in a moment, not for the first time he was going to distance his ministry from his mother. She might have been his mother, 
But he was the Messiah, and he knew it. She might have been his mother and a good mother, but he had a ministry that God had given him, and not even his mother was going to circumvent that, even with the very best of intentions. He wasn't rude with her, but he was letting her know. Now remember that Mary, when the angels came, and remember the shepherds had the angelic visit, and they came and told Mary all the things the angels said. The Bible says she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. But being a mother, the mother's instinct kicks in, doesn't it? You know, mothers tend to scold whenever the sons and daughters doesn't do what's right, and they should, but Jesus is making it clear. Hey, listen, listen, this is my father's business. I'm on a mission. Happened later on when he was in ministry. In fact, halfway through his ministry, Mark 3, he's much older then, and in fact, we should turn to this. No, don't need it. Because of time, let me just tell you a story. Jesus' ministry, tremendous things are happening, but he's getting persecuted. The religious hierarchy hates him. And they're coming and they're saying, they're saying, he's casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. That's why he can cast out demons, because he's, he's in league with a big demon. That's what they were saying. And people were jostling and pushing, and things was getting heated up and... You know, the tide was beginning to turn against Jesus and, and Mary, uh, understanding this and didn't like it, her and, and his brothers, they come to Jesus and there's a massive crowd around them and some people say, hey, your mother's here and your brothers are here. Now he knew that they wanted to get him out of there and wanted to spare him and save him. Hey, this is his ministry. This is what God's called him to do. And again, it's a mild rebuke, but putting the distance between him and his mother, here's what he said. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Are not these, and he looks around at those, are not these my mother and my brothers, my sisters? He wasn't being rude but he's letting them know and everybody know, hey, listen, I'm the Messiah. That's my mother and a lover, but you can't intrude into this ministry. Are you still with me? Then, of course, who can forget the marriage feast at Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2? It says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and the disciples were invited to the wedding. Now that lets us know a couple of things. First of all, the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and the disciples were invited. So she probably was related or at least a very, very close friend of the couple who were getting married. She was there as a right to be there but Jesus and the disciples were invited. And so you see how she has a part in this in a moment. And so when, the, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said, they have no wine. Now here she is, once again, and with the best of intentions, here she is, kind of interfering in Jesus' ministry. And he wasn't having it. He always 
made the separation. So Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now in researching for this series of messages and digging into it, I'm discovering some things. First of all, the term woman was not discourteous or rude. It was very polite. You know, our American friends and Canadian friends and a lot of Asian people, when you meet them, one of the things when you visit the Philippines, particularly if you go into a store, and our Filipino friends know this very well, they're called sir and ma'am. So they give you that polite way of addressing, sir, ma'am. So in a way, Jesus was saying, ma'am. He wasn't saying mum, or even mother, but ma'am, or madam. It was a polite way of speaking to his mother. But it was a more formal way. So again, he was just making that separation. Now when he says here, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I have read and read and read so many commentators on that one statement and hardly any two of them agree what exactly it was he meant. Some say he was talking about the R, his R, you know, for the cross, because he uses that term a lot. You know, now is the R of darkness. He talked about their R. Then he talked about his R coming when the Son of Man would be taken. So he used that term a lot when it came to dying on the cross. But others said, well, it maybe meant talking about the great marriage supper of the Lamb way out in the, in the future, in the glory. We're not sure exactly what he meant. It could have just simply meant, woman, I'm just invited here. So don't, don't get me involved unless I want to get involved. Don't, don't push me into anything. Now, she knew who he was. He's now just over 30 years old. Maybe she felt, well, he's got the power. He's the Messiah. He could turn water into wine. Moses turned water into blood. So he could turn water into wine. Maybe that was her thinking. Don't know. Maybe she wanted to make some announcement, but he was just an invited guest, so what could he say? But he made that distance. Or maybe he was saying, look, just leave it. It's not time yet. I'll do what I'll do in my time and in my way. Thank you very much. But whatever he was saying, she got the message, hey, it's his ministry. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He will do what he wants to do because he's directed by the Father, not by me. And so he very politely but curtly made that difference. And so... The mother said to the servants, so she was there, she had involvement, she knew the family, so she could say to the servants, but she probably thought, well, I'll just say to the servants this, whatever he, and she probably looked over and pointed, whatever he says unto you, you do it. 
either hoping he was going to do something or saying, hey, listen, if he makes a move, don't come to me. You go to him. Or thinking, if he does turn water into wine, they're going to get the biggest shock of their life, so I better prepare them. <laughs> well, whatever it was, whatever she meant by that, what a fantastic statement she made. Whatever he says unto you, do it. Those are the last recorded words of Mary in Scripture. And what words they were. What a motto to live by. What a statement to make. And she could make it. Because she was the one who originally said, let it be in me according to your word. Now she says, whatever he says unto you, do it. And that's what she's saying to us today. Whatever he says unto you, do it. Just do it. Regardless of the consequences or the cost, what people may think, if it's God, do it. If it's Christ, do it. That's what she's saying. You know how then the, the water pots, cut a long story short, Jesus told them to fill them up to the brim. It's interesting, he chose the water pots. These were the purifying pots. When people went in, they washed their hands and their feet and they got all washed and splashed themselves. These were not the wine pots where the wine would have been held. Because if that had happened, well, maybe they would have thought it came some other way. But no, the wine, that was left aside. It was the water pots. He says, fill them to the brim. And they could see it was water. They could see it with their own eyes. Then he says, draw it now. And as soon as they drew out the water, it immediately was turned into wine. We don't know because it doesn't say whether it just happened when they drew it out or whether it happened when they filled the pot. But either way, they knew they put in water and now they're drawn out wine. That much they did know. What a miracle! He suspended the laws of nature. He superseded the laws of nature. What would take months and months and months to happen? He did it in an instant. Send it to the governor of the feast. The one who was in charge. It says, by the way, he did this. This to Jesus of Nazareth and manifested forth his glory. To spare the blushes of a bridegroom. His first act of manifesting his glory was to spare the blushes of a bridegroom. An ordinary couple, an ordinary wedding, an ordinary day. And that's when he chose to manifest his glory. And that was the start of it. This beginning of miracles. Of all the places he could have chosen to manifest his glory, that's the place he chose. Right at a wedding. But a wee couple and a and a bridegroom was going to be desperately embarrassed. And he saved his blushes. Mary says, whatever he says unto you, do it. Just one more scripture and we're going to close. We'll have to turn to John 19. This of course is the scene at Calvary.
Can you imagine for a moment Mary standing there? She's looking up at her son, knowing he's the Messiah, the one that she bore, that she raised, that she nursed, that she taught at her knee. Here he is, young man in his prime, 33 years old. He's hanging on the cross, whipped, beaten, scourged, spat upon, beard plucked out. And there's crowds of religious people scorning him. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross, mocking, jeering. Soldiers are around the cross and they're throwing dice for his garments. People are drinking, shouting. There's a mob there. And here's this beautiful, godly woman. She's about 50 years old now. She's not a wee teenage girl anymore. She's a mother. And she's heartbroken. And I, I can see tears just streaming down her face. Her heart is bursting with ache pain to see her son hung on a cross as a common criminal and the world laughing at him and every now and again he's, he's saying things he's making statements and it's dark the sun's refused to shine and you know when the sun goes down it gets cold and no doubt she was nervous and cold, and maybe shivering, and fearful, and hurting. In the midst of all of that, verse 25, John 19, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by, he said to his mother, and here's that respectful tone again, woman, not mother, woman, behold your son. And he's looking at John. Behold your son. And he said to the disciple, to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her to his own home. In his dying moments, he's concerned about two things. He's concerned about his earthly mother, that she'd be taken care of. And who better to do it than John, the apostle of love? Out of all his disciples, he was the one that probably was the closest to him of any. The one that always addressed himself as the one whom Jesus loved. The one who lay up against him at the feast. He said, behold, John, your mother. Woman, behold your son. So he's taking care of his earthly mother in a practical way. But he was also again, knowing what would happen down the years of history from then, he was also again 
distancing himself, dismissing her to be with John, she would have no part in his redemptive sufferings for mankind. He alone would bear that burden. He alone. There would only be one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And he was making sure that we would need a mediator to get to the mediator. He would be the one. And then they were dismissed. There's only one other mention of Mary in Scripture, and that's in Acts. In the upper room, Mary is there. Peter, James, and John, the disciples, and the woman, and the woman. Thank God for the woman, amen? Come on, woman. Thank God for the woman, or I stop preaching this series, you don't give me an amen. And Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is never ever mentioned again. Not one epistle do you find her name. And that's deliberate by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have honored her today. Yes, we've held her up as a godly woman, as a woman of tremendous faith, of great obedience, a woman of Scripture, a woman that was righteous, a woman that was holy, lived a holy life. But that's what she was. Just a woman. But what a woman. But not a savior. Not an intermediary. Not a mediator. Not co-redemptrix. But the mother of Jesus. Aren't you glad for Mary? What a beautiful, humble servant of God. And we should always honor her for that. Because the Bible honors her. Amen? Let's pray.